Happy Palm Sunday, everyone. And uh, just a, a quick shout out to my daughter, Cambria. It's her 19th birthday today. Yay! So, uh, thank you guys. Was there not enough room in the atrium? Did we, during the, okay. Well, we'll uh, see if I can, feeling a bit cluttered. Uh, I wanted to ask you this morning, when was the last time you felt cluttered and, and crowded? Uh, perhaps that's been recently because you're uh, gathered in your living room and your whole family is there and you guys can't go anywhere. Right? We, last year we were blessed to um, be able to move to a, a new house, we um, reduced the amount of bedrooms in part thinking, well, our kids are getting of that age, two out of three are in college, and how often will we have the whole family in there so we can just use one of the bedrooms, our, our office for, for Luke's bedroom, and now here we are, all gathered, crowded. I'm feeling a bit cluttered in my office and my home. Good thing I not only love my kids, but like them too. Most of the time, I, I do that. Um, I was thinking about this idea of being cluttered and some extreme examples. Have you ever seen that show Hoarders? Where it's really sad, in fact, to see that there's a, a brokenness within for many people, that they're hoarding and they're cluttering and their, their family can barely move. My only really personal experience with that was when I was serving as a college pastor and once a week we would travel to another college and we, we stayed, we worked at the college all day and then stayed at a friend of a friend's house and we'd just sleep there at night. They had a spot for us, but we had to walk through their living room and I still don't know uh, what was going on there, but in their living room there was you know, end tables, like three stacked back and forth. There was too many chairs that were crowded in. There was actually a couple of extra couches. And this living room was so cluttered with furniture that you could barely move through the living room. In fact, the living room had ceased to be able to perform its purpose of, of a gathering place and a fellowship place and a place of conversation because it was so cluttered and crowded. I was thinking about internalizing that question. Do you ever feel like your mind is cluttered with too many thoughts, with too much a, a lack of clarity? Ha have you ever felt like your heart is so full with mixed emotions and you don't, that there's just not, that, that your, your will, you have decisions to make, but you can't, and, and so your soul is, is cluttered as well. I was thinking that perhaps Jesus, in his triumphal entry, when he, when he enters in Jerusalem, when we've been celebrating this, that there were probably a number of things that, that Jesus was thinking about. I wonder if, if clutter and purpose was one of them. 
In fact, I think that there might be a good chance that there was because the first thing that he does after the triumphal entry, when he, when he enters into Jerusalem, the very first thing he does is surprising to me. That takes me back. And, and, and that, that this was the, the top of his to-do list in this, in this crucial moment of his life and ministry when he goes into the city of David, Jerusalem. The priority, I think, was related to clutter and purpose. Shall we read together, if you have your Bibles at home, pause. No, I guess you can't pause a live stream, can you? Um, grab your Bibles. We will have the scriptures up there. And, and so the idea is he, he comes in, um, and then he's going to go to the temple, but then he goes out to Bethany, and he's going to do something in Bethany that we're going to read and then when he enters back into Jerusalem, um, we'll see what he does. I'm starting at Mark chapter 11, and I'm going to start at verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. This is right after. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He enters into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since he was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So I wonder what he pondered and thought about, reflected upon as he looked at the temple courts. He goes to Bethany and then, verse 12, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Do we have the scriptures up there on the screen? Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if, if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say this. On reaching Jerusalem, now he enters the city, Jesus again enters the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Verse 17. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written... My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out to the, of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. A surprising story, somewhat of a shocking story, in fact. Let's Talk about this for a moment. The, the, the cursing 
of the fig tree feels so un-Jesus-like, doesn't it? It it doesn't seem to, to fit in many of our perceptions of who Jesus was and what he did and, and why would he do that on his way to this crucial moment? Why would he curse the fig tree? Many folks have reflected on this idea and, and said it's really an acted out parable that Jesus doesn't uh, cursed the fig tree because he was hungry and it wasn't right there. He, didn't, he wasn't having a bad day. It wasn't you know, a, a, a time where he does it in anger and oh, he slipped up this one time in his life. What he was doing is he was doing an, an acted out parable that we would remember, that we would read and we would reflect. And if you approach the story from a parable perspective, you ask, who are the players? The fig tree represented the people of God. And at that time, it was the Jewish people, especially the leadership. And what the statement that Jesus was making is that the practice of faith, the living of their religion, it had promise, you, you could see maybe Leaves were there, but it wasn't producing the fruit of faith that the Father is looking for. In essence, he's saying, your faith, how you're living it, you're doing it wrong. It's also an invitation for the people of his day to do it right. Now, connected to this purposefully, not only the authors, but Jesus himself, he connects this idea of this fig tree being the people of God and a a statement of how they're living their faith. And then he goes into the temple, which is the center of the Jewish faith, right? the very center, and he goes in and what he sees is that the outer courts were meant for the Gentiles, all nations, the the non-Jewish people who feared God and wanted to worship. This was their place of prayer and Bible study and teaching and all of those things, and yet what he observes is not true worship and true religion, but bad religion. That he was seeing it became a place of of business transactions and yet even more further of extortion. You see, people would come from all known worlds, uh, the known world, and they would bring their money, their currency, and they would have to exchange it with the temple currency. And the religious leaders could control the exchange rate so they could extort from your average worshiper, Jew and Gentile an exorbitant amount. They would have to purchase animals like lambs or pigeons to use in peace offerings and and their sacrifice and all those kind of things and they could 
charge all of these rates. And furthermore, the, the, the temple, um, the courts of the Gentiles, it was convenient for many of the, the merchants to go through and travel because otherwise you'd have to go way around the temple. So they were just taking a shortcut. So Jesus sees all of this and says, you are doing it wrong. And he turns over the tables, chases out, no, you do not go through here. He said, you have changed this place of worship with the essence of its purpose is prayer and connection with God. And it's become a business transaction. It's become a shortcut, a place of convenience not conducive to worship and prayer. This was also an invitation of Jesus to the people of his day that's saying, will you allow me to teach you good faith, good religion, true worship? And at least some, especially the religious leaders, would say no. Now, question, what does that have to do with us today? There's no more temple, right? At least for now. There's no more temple to, to worship at. These were first century Jewish worshipers. Does Jesus, did Jesus do all of this just for that moment and just so that we would remember or did he have in mind future generations who would read and reflect? You probably won't be surprised. I tend to believe that Jesus had every generation of children of God in mind when he did this. That he would like us to hear his correction and his invitation. In the New Testament, there's a transition of the manifest presence of God, of what is the temple, which the, the temple uh, represented, to who knows what is the New Testament temple today. It's us, yes. If you got it, free cup of coffee, but you'll have to make it your own. I'll give you, you can go back to your kitchen, get another cup of coffee, for the, yes, we are, look at your neighbor. If you're with someone, look at your neighbor and say, we are God's temple, right? Yeah, if, if you don't have a neighbor at home, look to Jesus and say, oh, so I'm the temple. I'm your dwelling place. This is the place of the Holy Spirit. Wow. I wonder if Jesus entered into your heart and your mind and your will and your conscience in this moment, would he find clutter? Would he find your heart and soul living in the purposes for which it was created? I was thinking about this, and the question is, is there clutter in my own heart and soul? And I've been... I believe more and more, I'm, I'm convinced 
that not only is, is clutter a possibility for many of us, but perhaps many of us are really wrestling with cluttered souls in our mind, in our hearts, in our decision making. If Jesus entered in and, took, and looked around within, what would he see? What's your clutter? I think personally, and I think this is perhaps an application for all of us, I was thinking that I've got three areas that really tend to clutter my heart and mind and my soul. And those three areas are this, the, the general stuff of life, the, the demands of life. Second is um, sin. That sin, just the things I know I should not be doing, they clutter and crowd out the voice of God. And thirdly, I, I'm calling preoccupations, hobbies, interests, the things I do. I, I think that's probably true of all of us. That would, Can we unpack some of these ideas? First, that, that stuff of life, the demands and the responsibilities of life. This is all the, the stuff, it doesn't, not necessarily bad or good, it's often just what is demanding your time and your focus, preparing dinner, uh, driving or coaching the kids, making lunches, caring for elderly parents, um, work and responsibilities, all of those things, uh, caring for a neighbor, helping a neighbor at this time. All these things can be good or bad. Oftentimes they're good, but they busy our lives. They crowd our lives. They fill our minds. And sometimes they can be so filling that they can become a distraction from the things of God. I would say the classic biblical example is the story of Martha and Mary when Jesus is actually, they're, they're hosting, they're, they're showing some hospitality to Jesus and his crew, right? So they, they come in and their sisters, Martha and Mary, and they're probably gathered in some living room or larger room, and, and Martha probably the older sister, is preparing and she, she's cooking and she's getting ready and all these good things and yet where is her sister? This moment when they're, they're hosting Jesus and his disciples and she's not helping in the kitchen, she's just sitting around at the feet of Jesus. And so Martha, I love this, su such a, practical moment in the life and ministry of Jesus, she is so upset with her sister, she decides to probably interrupt Jesus' teaching and say, Jesus, verse 40 in Luke 10, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I think the key word in that scripture is distracted. It's not that, that Martha was doing anything wrong or sinning. She was, in fact, doing something wonderful and great, and yet she was distracted by all the preparations. How often can we be distracted by the things of God, 
with all the responsibilities of life. Another form of clutter is sin. This is certainly happening within the Jewish temple. Extortion isn't just bad religion. It's sinful. It's wrong. It's not neutral morally, but it's simply wrong. For you and I, we know when we're not just doing responsibilities of life, but we're engaging in activities that are wrong in the eyes of God. Did you know in this COVID-19 and this social distancing, the use of pornography around the world has skyrocketed. So people are filling their time with sin. The apostle Peter talks about the effects of sin on our soul. He says this in 1 Peter 2.11, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against the soul. Sin doesn't just clutter our soul. It diminishes it. It, it wars against it. it. It puts it farther from the purpose in which our soul was created. Did you know in these stories with Jesus, we're told the purpose of our soul. Did you catch that? Look at verse 17. He says, in fact, quotes Isaiah 56, 7. He says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You were created to be in fellowship, in communion with your creator. That's the purpose of your soul. Prayer and worship right there. That that, um, is over all things. That's the foundation and purpose. And yet so many things in life pulls us from our true purpose. And then the third thing is preoccupations. And those are interests and hobbies, how we entertain ourselves. These can be good or bad, right? If if your preoccupation is pornography, that's bad, that's wrong, that goes back in there. But there's entertainment things, there's TVs, there's uh, photography, whatever that is, it can be good and not necessarily bad, but it can be a distraction. Interesting, uh, the New Testament, actually both Old and New Testament talks about idleness often. Not the idol worshiping, but idleness in terms of not being productive and, and how you fill your days. The Apostle Paul says, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. When you have time on your hands, utilize it for what is good. I was thinking about this crazy time of the cancellation of March Madness and all professional sports and the Olympics, a delay of the Olympics, is that not a sign of the apocalypse? I don't know what is, right? All these things that we fill our lives with, 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 which is not necessarily bad things, 
and yet potentially an opportunity in this crazy time to reset our interests and hobbies and preoccupations. Now those are our three forms uh, that can clutter our soul. How do we respond to those? And I think they're different depending on what's cluttering up our soul. I, I think it's important to think through what that might look like. I'd say one, if you look at the stuff of life, again, not, not bad, just responsibilities, you're never gonna fully eliminate all those responsibilities, nor, nor should we, but I think a mindset has helped me a lot of simplification. That oftentimes, that means I need to say no to sometimes very good stuff. Things that I'd enjoy doing and love to do, but if I'm doing so many of those responsibilities, I'm taking on more and more responsibility with no discernment, no discrimination, that I can fill my life with so many responsibilities, good responsibilities, that I can be distracted from the Lord. Sometimes it's the idea of just saying, do I have enough space and thought and energy for the things that matter to God? If you don't, then you're probably suffering from a cluttered soul. And in this unique time, I don't think the Lord is saying, fill it with other interests and responsibilities that you can find, but what would it look like to stay simple and fill it with the things of him? If we return to the story of Mary and Martha, Jesus' response to Martha is so beautiful. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, too much clutter, you got all these things going on, but few things are needed, or indeed only one, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Whenever I preach that story, I always have you Mar Martha types say, yes, but if Martha didn't make the food, what would have Jesus and disciples eaten? Yeah? I mean, he could have multiplied the food that was there. I wonder if what would have happened if Martha would have said, Jesus, I, I want to prepare this and all that, but I really want to hear what you're teaching. I wonder if Jesus would have accommodated that. Like, Peter, John, you've heard this before. Go in the kitchen, right? The, here's the idea, is that Martha had the one true living God in her living room and she's in the kitchen. That's a no-go, right? That, that Jesus had the Lamb of God in her living room and she was focused on the lamb or whatever it was, pot roast, in the kitchen. How many times would she have that? 
And I apply that today. I'm just gonna mention this again. The, our kingdom life communities, our Bible studies, these worship services. Would you think about those from God's perspective for a moment? You have these circumstances that you get to gather around with other Christians and open up God's word. And in the presence of the Spirit, read and reflect and pray and allow your soul to be transformed just a little bit. What a sacred moment those are, even if it's via Zoom right now. Would it be worth it to simplify some other things? To, to kind of say no to some good things. Kind of put those in their rightful place. And kind of reduce and simplify the clutter of responsibilities so that you could have more time for God. I think it's worth it. Let's talk about sin for a moment. How do we respond when sin is warring against our soul, when sin is cluttering our soul? I would say this. We don't simplify, we don't minimize sin, but the, the focus should be that we turn over the tables of sin. We get rid of sin altogether. We take it out. We don't monkey around with this. We don't negotiate. We don't know. We resist it. We get that's what Jesus did in the temple. He said extortion is sin. I'm not playing nice with sin. I don't think he wants you to play nice with your sin. If you've got rats in the basement, you don't seek to reduce the number. You eliminate, yes? The apostle said this. James, of course, James always puts it bluntly and directly. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands. That's applicable for today. You sinners and purify your hearts. You double-minded. I wish James would tell us what he really feels. He says get rid of it. Deal with it. Eliminate. Turn over the tables. You see what sin is doing is pushing you farther away from God. He's saying, look at this incredible moment and faith is that we get to draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. But we have to get rid of that clutter that's warring against the soul. And finally this, preoccupations. Just our, our interests and our hobbies. And I would suggest this, that we need to be wise in how we order our days. That those interests and those hobbies, they can be good, they can be a blessing, all of those things. But the apostle says this in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. 
Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. What Paul is saying when he says the days are evil, he's saying is that we still live in a fallen world. This world is not fully redeemed. And there are places, if you're not wise, if you're not discerning, that you'll fall into unhealthy habits or interests or, or will put such a focus on an interest that it pulls away the things of God for us. He's saying be thoughtful, be discerning, even be shrewd in these instances or you can wind up in a bad place. COVID-19 is a horrible and difficult thing, praying for the families around the world that have lost loved ones. We should continue to pray for that. Continue to pray that God would end this. This is part of the kingdom of darkness. This is the enemy's strategy. And yet at the same time, according to scripture, when we place these even tragic elements of our life and our, and our unredeemed parts of our unredeemed world, when we place them in our hands, he will use it. He will bring good from this. Friends, I believe that though tragic this moment in our lives is, in many ways, it's also opportunity. And just like Jesus was inviting his, the, the followers of God, the worship of, uh, worshipers of God, to respond and allow him to teach them good faith and good religion. That he was inviting them ultimately to allow him to be the shepherd of our soul and, and how to live with that purpose within. So in the same way Jesus is teaching, inviting us to let him shepherd our soul to teach us what's bad religion and what's good religion. To allow him to be our refiner and our purifier. To allow him to dress some of the clutter that, that's the, the nasty in the closet that we don't want anyone to see. He sees it, he's wanting us to allow him to clear that out. He says, if you do that, I promise forgiveness and healing and wholeness. Would you allow Jesus to shepherd your responsibilities and all the activities, as good as they are, would you let him talk with you about how you order rightly those things, even those interests and those hobbies, if they're pulling away from the things of God, would you allow him to shepherd so that he can allow you to live the life he rode into Jerusalem for you to have? All of that is the idea of lordship. 
if you're my king, Jesus, then I'll give you say over every area of my life, every part of my life, my, my thoughts, my emotions, my heart, my will, my decision-making, all of that. Jesus, you be king of my life. I wanted us to, to read a, another parable in reflection. Would you close your eyes? Invite the, the worship team forward. I'm going to read from Luke 14. And it's another parable about the kingdom of God. And, and again, with parables, would you find your place in the parable? It says this. When one of those at the table with him heard this, so they were eating, they're feasting together. He said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Would you imagine being at that table with Jesus and something? Blessed is he who's eating, who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Then Jesus, it prompts Jesus to tell this parable again. Close your eyes and think of that. Listen to his words. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. The certain man is Jesus or God the Father. And he's inviting the guests to heaven. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. You can live Heaven, today, it's ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. They had rejected the invitation that the master had extended. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame bring in the least of these this banquet feast is especially for them sir the servant said what you have ordered has been done but there is still room then the master told a servant go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full hear the heart of the father inviting each and every one of us into the kingdom of heaven he says i tell you not one of those who were invited and rejected that invitation, we're too busy, we'll get to taste of my banquet.
would you ask this question of the Lord between you and the Holy Spirit? Lord, what's cluttering my soul? Am I making excuses, God? Am I, have I filled my life with so many responsibilities that I don't have time for you? In this time of social distancing, have I replaced some of those responsibilities with unhealthy things? Am I filling my mind, my eyes as the lamp of the body, my heart with sin? Lord, forgive me. I want to live in communion with you. What does it look like to allow Jesus to clear all the clutter of your soul. It simply says, you and I saying, yes, Jesus. Be the shepherd of my soul. Help me to rightly live this life. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Would you be, Jesus, my refiner and my purifier? Lord, I want to place my interests and my activities and my life in your hand.